you had questions on spiritual gifts and we've got answers. And by we, I mean me and my daddy, uh, Dr. Tom Schreiner. Dr. Tom Schreiner has written a book on spiritual gifts. He's been on the podcast before. So thanks, Dad, for recording this podcast. Thank you, young adults, for submitting some good questions on spiritual gifts. Let us know if we can answer more questions or if you have other ideas for the podcast. Enjoy. Dr. Tom Schreiner, also known as my dad, welcome to the Disciple Henson podcast. Oh, it's great to be here, Dan. Welcome back. We're in one of the warmest rooms in the church in the middle of Snowpocalypse 2024. Uh, you guys came for the weather. Exactly. Exactly. We came from Southern California to where it's more beautiful. So you were teaching at Master's Seminary. Yeah. Uh, and you guys took advantage of a chance to come and visit with us. Exactly. Uh, you've been on the Disciple Hinson podcast before, so we'll spare the listeners your kind of your background and your story um, because we have a lot I want to talk about today. Uh, one of the young adults in our church asked if we would have a Sunday school or something on spiritual gifts. And I thought he asked that just a week or so ago, mm. and you've written a, a book on it and have done talks on this before. So why did you write a book on spiritual gifts? The book is called Spiritual Gifts, What They Are and Why They Matter. And you wrote this a few years ago? Yeah, maybe 2015 or 16 somewhere in there yeah I wrote the what the genesis of the book is our pastor at Clifton Baptist John Kimball asked me to speak on spiritual gifts in our men's retreat and I told him no I want to speak on prayer and he said okay but then he wrote me is prayer a spiritual gift <laughs> <laughs> no no I don't think so okay but uh so I he wrote me back a month later and said I, I really would like you to do do it on spiritual gifts and when he wrote me again i thought well i probably if that's really what's on his heart as the, our preaching pastor i thought i should do it so i did that i did a lot of preparation then i wasn't going to do anything with it but then our next our neighbor like six months later Oren martin told me you should write that up and i was like no i don't want to write that up that's so controversial and i don't want to be known as the spiritual gifts guy and uh but he kept encouraging me and yeah i just then i slowly felt an inclination to do it so really would you say that you felt led by the spirit i would i would um now what <laughs> but what is your personal experience with the spiritual gifts have you ever spoken in tongues no prophesied no healed anyone no um, taken a spiritual gift inventory or quiz. Yes. And what did your spiritual gift come out as when you took that quiz? Do you remember? No, I forgot. <laughs> I don't think those inventories are very helpful. So why are you qualified to speak on this issue if it sounds like you don't really have any spiritual gifts? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think I have some spiritual gifts, but I think my qualifications, our qualifications don't come from the gifts we have, but from our understanding of scripture. Okay, that's that's a good, I think, good foundation, hopefully for the rest of this conversation. Um, you just shared in the evening service this last Sunday night at Henson that uh, for prayer for your back, uh, because you've been having some back pain. Um, were you suggesting when you asked for that prayer that someone come forward and heal you? I wasn't, but if they did, I would have been super happy because I do believe God still heals today and God still does miracles today. 
Okay, so you uh, in this book, you make an argument for a nuanced cessationism. We're going to talk about what that means yeah. here in a, in a minute. Yeah. But, but just to, from the outset, you do believe that the Lord still works today in miraculous ways. Right. I think there are still gifts, not gifts. I still believe God heals and does miracles uh, as he pleases. Yeah. And have you even uh, like um, this church prayed for mom? when she was in her bike accident in 2012, that the Lord would heal her. Would you say that the Lord healed her? Yeah. 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 I think he did. I think yeah. he did. And we prayed as elders. We, I don't think you have to do it this way, but we anointed a person with oil who had cancer and we prayed for him. I wouldn't, I don't know if he's healed cause he still has cancer, but it's 25, 30 years later and he's still alive and flourishing. Hmm. So I think God worked through the doctors and their treatment of him, but I think he worked through our prayers too. Okay. Yeah. Well, that that's uh, just a little appetizer to get us into this conversation now. So let's start with definitions because you say, you know, spiritual gifts, subtitle in your, of your book, what they are and why they matter. So what are the spiritual gifts? What are some of the key texts that you would go to in scripture to talk about spiritual gifts? So 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 mm -hmm. is a long discussion on spiritual gifts. Ephesians chapter 4, especially verses 11 through 16. Romans chapter 12, uh, really verses 3 through 8, especially verses 6 through 8. 1 Peter 4 verses 10 and 11. Those are the main, the main passages. So we have a, a listing of various gifts uh, there. They're, you know, not every passage lists all the gifts. The, the most comprehensive listing is in 1 Corinthians. Okay. Spiritual gifts. Let me say spiritual gifts. He calls them spiritual gifts and he calls them gifts. So they're, I think they're special abilities God gives that are from the spirit. Why are they called spiritual gifts? Because they're from the Holy Spirit. Why are they called gifts? Because they're given to us by God. So they're special abilities. So you can think of prophecy, uh, healing, miracles, helps, leadership, teaching, tongues, interpretation of tongues, distinguishing of spirits. I mean, those are some of them. We just did a, a podcast with uh, a sister in the church, Juliet Kane, on hospitality. I would say that she, that Juliet and Michael Kane in our church are gifted in hospitality. Is that a spiritual gift? Yeah. Well, you know, maybe it's under the gift of serving, okay. uh, which is a, uh, a gift and or helps. Probably serving would fit with that. A gift of that, that's a very vital gift. You know, we haven't seen many controversies in the church over whether to have the gift of serving or helps, but those are two of the most practical uh, and needed gifts in the life of the church, and and they're often overlooked as as being significant, but they are so significant. A church can't run without them. But so you don't believe that that gift has ceased? No, no. That's why I say I'm a nuanced cessationist. I think some of the gifts clearly continue today. Teaching, leadership, helps, serving. I mean, I'm not listing them all. And then I think some gifts have ceased. I don't personally, I don't think I may be wrong on this. It doesn't matter as much to me, but I, I'm not convinced people have the gift of miracles, the gift of. Does God do miracles? Yes. Do people have the gift of miracles and the gift of healing? I, I think God can still 
do such, maybe in cutting edge missionary situations, a particular person will, will have those gifts. Uh, same with tongues and interpretation of tongues. I'm not convinced it's for today, but actually those gifts don't, if you understand what I'm saying, they don't matter as much to me if they're not revelational gifts. So the gifts I think have clearly, that have clearly seized are apostleship and prophecy, because those are revelational gifts. Okay, so in what text would you go to in Scripture to defend that view that these revelatory gifts or revelation gifts of, uh, of prophecy and apostleship have ceased? They seem, the New Testament suggests that those, uh, talks about those in the early churches if they're there. So then how could you argue that from Scripture? Yeah, yeah. And there's no particular verse that says that specifically. And that's one reason there's a debate. But for apostleship, I would say when, for example, in uh, Acts chapter 12, when James, the brother of John, is put to death, they don't replace him. So uh, we have no indication that after the original 12 and perhaps a few others like James, the brother of our Lord and Barnabas are called apostles. But after the first generation, we have no evidence that apostles were being uh, replaced. Um, Paul calls himself the last of the apostles. And then a very important text for me is the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Ephesians 2.20, yeah. right? And that, and yeah, Ephesians 2.20, that foundation I think has been laid. And I don't think there's anyone who has apostles in the, in the technical sense. I mean, apostles as missionaries, which I think that word is used that way sometimes in scripture, yes. But apostles in the sense of the foundation of the church, the 12, and, and a few others, uh, that gift, I think, has passed away. And I think prophecy has passed away because I would define prophecy as speaking the infallible and inerrant word of God, just as in the Old Testament. And I don't think anybody today speaks that infallible and inerrant word of God. Now, there, there are people who think the gift of prophecy exists today, uh, like a Wayne Grudem, John Piper, Sam Storms, good friends of mine. But uh, they think prophecy is mixed with air, but I, but I argue in my book that I think that that uh, reading a prophecy is wrong. So, and this is uh, what you say in your epilogue um, on page one seventy one of your book. The key verse for your nuanced cessationism—that's what you say—is your view is that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and. Uh, since that apostolic foundation has been laid, apostles and prophets are no longer functioning today. Um, one of the fundamental bases for this judgment is that the New Testament prophecy is without error and holy truth. So that's what you just said. This is kind of the, the crux of um, your argument that those uh, gifts, apostles and prophets, has, has ceased. So I don't hear a lot of people, at least in our circles here at Hinson, saying, like, how come we don't have apostles or prophets in in the church today? So can you, uh, so how does this play out in the life of the church today? If, the, if those gifts have ceased, like, what is it? Because again, I'm, now I'm getting more that you've done some definitional work. Why? why that matters like why argue i think apostleship and prophecy have ceased 
like why even bother making that argument well there's a lot first of all there are there there are many churches and even denominations that argue that these gifts are continuing to operate and then you have a, a kind of a extreme charismatic movement it's very popular all, all around the world where they where they view these gifts as still in operation so uh, you know the charismatic Pentecostal movement probably the biggest Christian movement in the world right now so if we if we look at the worldwide church it's it's very common out there maybe maybe not in some communities some communities may not think about it but other Christians are thinking about it a lot so what why does it matter what what is what is our final authority right uh, can can these prophetic words you know there are people out there who are saying their prophetic words their apostolic words are as authoritative as the word of God I mean that's a radical uh, part of the charismatic movement, but it's out there. And I think that's dangerous, you know? So how would you, so I have, I have a number of friends, even within this church who would tell a story about a significant time in their life where they felt like God spoke to them and gave them direction on a particular path in life to go, whether to pursue ministry full time, to go uh, out to missions, or maybe it's something like to take a particular job or to marry someone or to date someone. So how would you, you, you serve as an elder mm. at your church, how, how would you counsel someone if someone told them, you know, like God told me this, it's not something that's revealed in scripture, like what authority does that hold? Does that, um, and, and what, how would you characterize that? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I, I don't think it's helpful to use the language God told me mm. because since I don't think they're prophets, I think those are impressions. I mean, Edwards talked about this, Jonathan Edwards. Mm -hmm. God, God gives impressions to us. So is there an example in Scripture of an impression? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 16, 12, Paul says to all Paulus, I think you should go to, I'm paraphrasing, I think you should go to Corinth. Mm -hmm. That's an impression. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say, this is the word of the Lord, you should go to Corinth. He says, I think you should go to Corinth. Mm -hmm. and, and if you read that verse, Apollos says, no. I don't think so. Hmm. So uh, Paul, Paul doesn't criticize Apollos. He says he'll come when he can. Mm -hmm. So that's an impression Paul had. So, yeah, we can have an impression and it can be from God to marry someone, mm -hmm. to be a missionary, all, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But we have to be careful because those impressions are fallible. So actually, I think what Wayne Grudem and Piper and others call prophecy are actually impressions. And they're more responsible in how they handle prophecy. Yeah, God can give us impressions. But, but Edwards warns us, and I think rightly, you know, Edwards saw all these spiritual manifestations during the Great Awakening. And Edwards warns us about the danger of relying on on impressions all the time so he he acknowledged yeah god can impress things on us but we could be wrong mm -hmm. and then and then where edward says if you rely on on oppressions you'll be like the jack-o-lantern but which is like what does that mean i think i'm going to paraphrase edwards i think edwards is saying if you always rely on impressions you'll be wacko because <laughs> you'll be looking for signs mm -hmm. for everything. Mm -hmm. And so can God give us those things? Yeah. But recognize they could be wrong. Mm -hmm. So 
just another example. Spurgeon believed prophecy had ceased. But Spurgeon was prophesying, I mean, preaching once, and he looked up in the balcony and he called out a man who, and he said, you stole some gloves. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't try it the next Sunday or the next Sunday. Mm-hmm. That's very unusual. And of course, you know, you can try something like that and be dramatically wrong. But Spurgeon was right. God did impress that on him, but he didn't, he didn't rely on that. Like, Hey, that were great last Sunday. I'm going to do this every Sunday. Right. <laughs> so, and, a, um, and an example from a Pentecostal, I, I knew someone who, um, whose mom as a child, her, her, her mom was sick and some elders of her Pentecostal church told them that, uh, her mom would be healed. Actually, her mom had cancer. And then I think the parents didn't pursue treatment and the mom ended up passing away. And that obviously was very significant for the children who were assured by the authorities in the church that the mom was going to be healed. And then she ended up dying. So when we, when we don't differentiate what comes from the Lord and maybe, you know, these elders had an impress, they thought they had an impression, but they characterized it as a word of the Lord, an authoritative word of the Lord, which that's where you can get into major problems, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. That's why I think we sh- if, when we have an impression, we should say something like, I think the Lord is is telling me this. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I know a guy in high school. I mean, it wasn't really theological, right? But he said to a, a, a girl in our high school, the Lord told me that we should date. And, and she replied, well, he didn't tell me, which is exactly right. I mean, the Lord didn't tell him that. That's what he wanted. So it's easy to confuse our impressions with our own personalities, our own desires, our own sensibilities on things. So to be more humble about that is, is, is helpful and cautious. Do you think people who hold the view of cessationism are emotionally stunted? <laughs> they can be, but so it, it can be true on both sides, right? So, and so. what? How does this? How does the spirit speak to us today? Um, should we just ignore uh, the the ways that he makes us feel and our affections? No, no. I think the Lord, the Lord speak. I, I'm not denying the impressions, and I think the Lord speaks to us fundamentally through His Word, and He, by His Spirit, His Word does speak to us, and He comforts us, He convicts us, He assures us, He guides us. Yeah. So it's not. I'm not arguing that our life as Christians is impersonal. The, the Spirit does lead and guide us. Uh, you know, I'd say at this church. The Spirit guides you guys as elders, right? Mm-hmm. As you meet, as you pray, as you seek the Lord. In terms of wisdom. Is, and wisdom, yeah. yes. That's right. Now, I don't think, I think it'd be dangerous if as elders you said, God told us. That this should be the budget or this is, yeah, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Okay, so um, what would you say is the best argument for continuationism? And can you just briefly, uh, just to review, because maybe we were going a little quick, define what cessationism is, and that's what you would say is your position. And then what is continuationism? So what's cessationism? Yeah. Yeah. Cessationism is the idea that 
at least some of the gifts have ceased, have come to an end. That, that cessation, they've ceased. They've come to an end. Particularly apostleship and prophecy. In my view. In yeah. your view. Okay. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I tend to think, because I, I would define speaking in tongues, not everyone agrees with this, as speaking in a foreign language. So I think most alleged tongue speaking today, in my judgment, I could be wrong on this, but in my judgment, most alleged tongue speaking today isn't the spiritual gift of tongues. How could you say that? Because your daughter, Anna, speaks in Spanish <laughs> as well as English. So she has the gift of tongues, right? No, she studied Spanish. <laughs> and um, yeah, I tend to think, you know, the interpretation of tongues, miracles and healings as gifts that mm -hmm. people possess. Have, have passed away. But as I mentioned, I'm a nuanced cessationist. I think it is possible that in cutting edge missionary situations or unusual situations, perhaps those gifts manifest themselves, not apostleship and prophecy. Um, then continuationism. Continuationism is that all the gifts continue. Uh, well, even Wayne Grudem says apostleship has ceased. So even he is a kind of nuanced cessationist, right? Mm -hmm. But many characters... you think Wayne Grudem listens to this podcast? Anything you'd like to say? Uh, hey, hey, Wayne, I know you don't listen to this podcast. So there, there we go. But we could send it to him. Okay. So <laughs> You're friends with Dr. Grudem. Wayne Grudem's a dear friend. Sam Storms, John Piper was my pastor. They you dedicated this book to those guys. I did. But I they, did. But they hold a different view than you in, in some matters, like on apostleship and prophecy. They would put themselves in the continuationist camp. Not on apostleship. But not on apostleship. Okay. You know, and there, you know, when you look at the charismatic movement worldwide, they're uh, very responsible and careful. I mean, Wayne would never say, uh, God told me to do this, even in a prophecy. Okay. So uh, they're, you know, the way they exercise the gifts is very uh, responsible, even though I have some disagreements uh, with them. But, it, you, you know, if you went to one of those churches, Andrew Wilson's church, you would, C.J. Mahaney's church, you'd find the gifts exercised in a very responsible way. Well, you were a member and an elder at uh, John Piper's church for 11 years. Yeah. But, yeah. And well, we'll get we'll get we'll get to that in a minute. We're getting a little bit. Um, so, OK, you laid out cessationism, continuationism. What, is there a middle view? Well, I mean, I guess, you know, my nuanced cessationism is a little bit of a middle view. Yeah. Mm, OK. But essentially, people are in those two camps. Do you think Wayne Grudem would say his is a middle view, too? Does everybody put themselves in the middle? I guess that's my question. In a, in a way, in a way, it's a middle view because he has a different definition of prophecy than some charismatics who say prophecy is the authoritative word of God. OK, so there is. Yeah, there's a spectrum, I guess. Right, right. Um, and then we've uh, another question that one of the young adults asked, which I thought was a great question is cessationism too restrictive on the God who can do miracles. Yeah. Well, well, I already said, yeah. I believe God can do miracles. So there, when your cessationism doesn't mean you don't believe in miracles or pray for miracles as elders, we pray for the sick all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and we believe God can heal. Uh, but often he doesn't. He can, but I don't think he promises uh, to heal. So what about, um, I just mentioned this, let's, let's talk about holding different views on the gifts. In other words, can continuationists and cessationists be friends? 
Well, yeah, in our church at Clifton, and I think it's true here as well, we have no requirement on that issue. For elders, for um, uh, church members, it's not part of our statement of faith. So we, we don't have any particular requirement. Of course, our church tends to attract people who aren't uh, continuationists, but we have continuationists in the church where I teach at Southern Seminary. We have continuationists and cessationists, and we get along very well. Uh, so, one uh, teacher and author who's been influential here on the West Coast I mean, you were just there speaking at Masters is John MacArthur. How so, and John MacArthur is a well known cessationist. How would you how would your view be the same and different than John MacArthur's? Yeah, I I, I don't think John MacArthur would call himself a nuanced cessationist. Okay. He would he would say uh, cessationism is uh, absolutely clear. And I think there there would I don't know what they re require for church members, but I'm clearly elders, I think, would all have to be cessationists there, which we don't require. You think there's some pretty weak arguments for cessationism against continuationism. You have a chapter, chapter 10, unconvincing arguments for the cessation of gifts. And one argument that I think I've heard out here, I don't know, I don't know if this comes from John MacArthur, but that um, what we see from 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12 is that, that you know, um, gifts won't last forever because the tongues will cease, uh, will come to an end when the perfect comes, right? Is That's 1 Corinthians 13, 10 that gifts will end when the perfect comes. And, and some argue that the perfect coming is like the canon of the New Testament. Um, what do you think of that argument against continuationism? Yeah, that's a very, that's a very common argument. I think it's uh, not convincing. If you look at the context, the perfect is uh, correlated with, uh, I think, seeing God face to face. That's the language he uses. So I think he's clearly talking about the second coming. That This reading, I, I don't know myself what MacArthur says, uh, uh, but this reading, First Corinthians thirteen among cessationists is very, uh, very common. It's a, but I don't, I don't think it's convincing at all. You know, there's a, first of all, I think clearly he's talking about the second coming okay. of, of Jesus. The perfect coming is yeah, the second. coming. The perfect is face yeah face. the second coming, and then he says we'll know as we've been known. Mm -hmm. So I don't think we know after, uh, fully, even though the canon has been completed. Thirdly, I mean, it's interesting. I think this argument that Paul's talking about the completion of the canon would make no sense to the Corinthians mm -hmm. because they would have no concept of a canon mm -hmm. of Scripture, mm -hmm. all the books being collected together. Why would they understand that? Because as far as they're concerned, Jesus is going to come very soon. I don't think the Bible's wrong there, but they have no idea that history is going to last for a long time. I don't even think Paul knew that. I don't think mm -hmm. Paul was wrong, right? Mm -hmm. But why would God reveal to Paul, you know, history is going to last 2,000 years or however long it will last? I don't think Paul knew that. So it, I, th I think it really doesn't make sense. Paul's trying to write something that the Corinthians can understand. How could, how could they understand, hey, I'm talking about when the Bible's written they're like, and all collected together, and they're like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. so, so I think mm -hmm. there's really a number of severe problems with that view. Okay. So. 
that's helpful. Um, we talked a little bit about cessationism versus continuationism. Is there any compelling argument for continuationism that sometimes keeps you up at night and you're like, maybe I'm wrong? It doesn't keep me up at night, but I think the best argument is from 1 Corinthians 13. The most natural way of reading that is that the gifts continue until the second coming. And so does it keep me up at night? But I acknowledge, yeah, I could be wrong on this. Uh, it's not a it's not a primary issue. I think it's a secondary issue in terms of what the practice looks like in your church. Right. Mm -hmm. But um um, my, my reply to that, really the same as Richard Gaffin in his book, Perspectives on Pentecost, is sort of what I just said. There, there would be no reason to say to the Corinthians or that the gifts are going to cease because uh, before the second coming, because they don't know when the second coming is going to be. Mm. And neither is Paul, I think, told that explicitly. So I think the argument is fundamental. It is exegetical, but it's also theological. Some people are suspicious when you say, well, it's theological, but we have all kinds of issues like that. For example, the Trinity mm -hmm. is, a, is a theological doctrine. And I think it's Im important to recognize, for example, all, all virtual, virtually most of the reformers were cessationist as well. Um. Any resources you'd recommend, maybe uh, something that you, has challenged you or you found helpful on the continuationist side, and then maybe another work that was helpful in your thinking on the cessationist side, any just books that come to mind or sermons or anything like yeah. that? Yeah. Well, there's a, I, I forget now if it's a four or five views book on the spiritual gifts edited by Sam Storms. I think Wayne Grudem contributed. I can't remember all the contributors off the top of my head. Um, so that's a helpful book. You can read both sides in that. On the continuationist side, Wayne, Wayne has written on this, Sam Storms. I mean, they're well-known authors. On the uh, cessationist side, I really like Richard Gaffin's book. It's a small little book called perspectives on on pentecost that that's a helpful book dad one of the things that i found interesting and most encouraging and helpful about your book is actually you don't spend most of the time delving into the controversy of continuationism versus uh cessationism it you know it's kind of this this topic or this discussion can often be like the way we discuss the second coming or the return of christ as we get all embroiled about the millennium and and the different views on the millennium mm -hmm. whether pre-mill or on-mill or post-mill when really we should be talking about the return being with christ forever mm -hmm. rather than mm -hmm. that whatever that a thousand years is but um, so anyways, you you spend most of this book talking about how to think about the spiritual gifts and why they matter for the church. You're thinking as a as a pastor, as a as um, you know, why there is for why first Corinthians 12 through 14 is in the Bible. It's for the sake of the sake of the church. So anything you would say about, again, how would you answer why the spiritual gifts matter? So setting aside the different views. Um, you know, there are a number of spiritual gifts, as we already talked about listed. What what are their purpose? Why do they why does uh, helping and uh, exhortation and administrating and giving and mercy and evangelism? Like, how should we how should we think about those gifts? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I list 10 truths about uh, spiritual gifts in this book. And and for, I mean, first of all, what is emphasized again and again is the gifts are, are for the body. The gifts aren't for our private 
fundamentally for our private edification, but they're to build up others. So, you know, the gifts, the gifts are uh, cross-centered, right? There, Jesus gave himself for our sake and our salvation. He sacrificed himself. So gifts, gifts are to help others. So that's, that's a very fundamental truth. But another thing that Paul says is, you know, I think a lot of people think, well, I don't have any gifts. I'm not, I'm not helping people. I, you know, the pastors help people, but, but I don't. But so I think Paul emphasizes, and not just Paul, we see it in First Peter, right? As well, every, every member helps the body. Every member builds up other members. Every member has a role. So he really emphasizes, right, no, no member is inferior. And uh, so if there's a sense of, I don't have anything to contribute, Paul says that that's wrong. You, every member is valuable. So I think he says, don't think too highly of yourself, but also don't think too low of yourself. There, those are, we, we both, fa- we face in our lives, both temptations. Sometimes we can think too highly of ourselves, sometimes too low of ourselves. So that's, that's something we face all our lives long, right? I can start being too proud or I can start being too discouraged. And uh, so that's a very practical word as well. Should we find our value or or our identity in the gifts that God has given us? No, no, that's a great question. Absolutely not. Because, you know, someday in our lives, you may be lying in a hospital bed or or confined to your room and you're not you can't exercise your gifts anymore so it's our it's our relationship with god or identity in christ that's fundamental it's not it's not what we do thank god for the gifts he gives us but it's who we are in christ that's our fundamental identity so if if you know we can know you have a gift of hospitality but you're not physically able to do it anymore that your, your, your fundamental identity isn't in that or your teaching or what, whatever, your counseling, whatever your gift is. That just made me think of Bill Fransky, whom you know, yeah. who is so gifted in, I mean, he's an encourager. He practically, he helped, you know, he helps, he helped our family get all the bikes that we have. You've ridden those bikes before. Uh, so active, like in the life of the church and encouraging, helping hospitality. And now as a quadriplegic, you know, he, he's, uh, he's not able to do those things. Mm. And yet he spends, uh, so much time in the middle of the night, he's praying for the church mm. and he's praying specifically for members of the church, for leaders of the church. And it just makes me think of it's, it's fitting that right there in the kind of the middle of Paul's discussion of the spiritual gifts in first Corinthians, that the most important thing is love, Yeah, you know, and that's, that's what we see, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's what we want to be about here mm-hmm. at, at Henson and in the church, you know, I know the same would be true for Clifton is a church that's characterized by not trying to figure out what gift you have or thinking of it in an individualistic sense or finding your identity and value or merely debating cessationism versus continuations, but are we a church characterized by love? Yeah. Yeah. I think that is so important. And, and it, it reminds me, I mean, how do you know that you mentioned the spiritual gift inventory? Well, I don't think those are helpful and uh, just get involved in the life of the church, love other people in the church. I say in the book, even if you don't know what your gift is, you're exercising it. Mm 
It, mm. it doesn't, it's not absolutely important that you know what your gift is. You probably will discover it, but that's not the focus. Mm. As you love people, you'll be exercising it whether you know what it is or not. That's good. That's mm. a great final word. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, for great. For having this conversation. Great to be with you.